Welcome to the Pulse of Frenzy Podcast. My name is Jake. I'm here with Sam and Chase. Unfortunately, Sirius and Topher couldn't make it today. But the Buffs are coming off. I wanted to say heartbreaking loss, but that wasn't heartbreaking. They did not deserve to win that game. A brutal loss against UCLA. And I think the headline is the offensive line play. Guys, let's just open it up and let's just talk about that because uh, it was a huge part of this game. What are you guys' thoughts with the line play and overall takeaways from the game? I mean, it, it, it's atrocious, right? And I we're not going to reinvent the wheel and talk about things that people don't already know, but that team is not going to go anywhere fast with an offensive line that is that bad. And part of it, I think, is play calling. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the fact that, I mean, Shadur had maybe, maybe more than two seconds or three seconds a handful of times, certainly less than 10 times that entire game, still managed to have 217 yards. Now, that was on 43 attempts, which is a, a whole other thing that we should, we'll should we talk about a little bit. But the offensive line is absolutely atrocious. The fact that you have offensive line alumni like Alex Kelly and uh, the Dungeon 6-0 uh, folks coming after this O-line and just saying, like, I don't even know how you're overcomplicating it this hard is abysmal. But the, the the fact of the matter is, at no point were we ever in that game because the offensive line was holding us back. And I got to be honest, people are talking about this. I think this is the worst offensive line Colorado has ever had. And we talked about this at the beginning of the year, but when you send out all of your depth, right, you tell people they're not going to start and a new regime is in and you want them to leave, we're probably regretting that. You know, we've talked about it all season, but we're regretting it because you have absolutely paper thin, no depth at the lines. And we said this was going to be a problem and it absolutely was Sam. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing different from what you're saying there. Um, it was just honestly a pathetic performance by the offensive line being there live and watching it in person. It was just, even the UCLA fans around where I was sitting were amazed by how quickly they were getting to the quarterback. And the thing that really made me the most upset was that, Shador was getting hit on every single play. Every single play he was getting knocked on his ass. And there didn't seem to be like a fight or like we're not going to let him hit our quarterback. Because if, if, if you guys remember against Nebraska, uh, Shador Sanders went and slid and the guy kind of hit him. And then Savion Washington went over and got the penalty, 15-yard penalty for standing up for his quarterback. There was none of that. They gave up. That offensive line gave up on their quarterback. And it's a miracle that Shador Sanders is not more hurt than he is because he's obviously banged up. Coach Prime said he got a shot of some kind at halftime. And you could see him warming up before each drive. He was like slowly jogging down the field, like away from the team and trying to stretch out. But he was obviously banged up and no one did it. Like they didn't protect him at all. And it was just very frustrating to see. Yeah, I mean, the thing on the side of the stadium, right, the the legacy of the Colorado Buffaloes will not be entrusted to the timid of the weak. That offensive line is timid, and that offensive line is weak. And they don't – to your point, Sam, that's the most frustrating part. If you're going to give up a, a bad sack – and I played offensive line in high school, and I gave up a lot of bad sacks. But if you're going to give up a bad sack like that, you need to go over there and pick your quarterback up. And it's crazy to me that they will just, like, walk around Shadour after he leaves everything on the field. Right? There's no question. He made some, some kind of – you know, not, not great play. This was definitely not his game by any stretch. Um, I do want to just quickly talk about the fact that I think he, when he did actually have time, the few and far between instances where he did, I don't know if he's just gun shy from getting pulverized the entire game, but was not making the throws that he needed to um, on the off chance. They did have the time, but I mean, he, he left it all on the field and then the offensive line is not standing up for him. And that's just crazy to me. I mean, that, that offensive line room 
it must be in shambles. And at the end of the day, it comes down to coaching, right? Like those guys are clearly, it, it's not even, I mean, they're small, but they're not so small that they can't at least hang in there and compete. Right. And maybe it's because we're not doing as much of the Sean Lewis offensive, you know, maybe we should be running a little bit more. And there's a whole host of things that might be happening, right? UCLA to their credit has a very good pass rush. And we knew that going into the game, right? But seven sacks. And I, I think we we tweeted um, ESPN had the graphic where, it was sometime in the third quarter, early fourth quarter. It was like 27 hurries, um, which is crazy when you think about the fact that he had 43 passing attempts in the entire game, and at least six of those were in that last drive. So before that last drive, he had, you know, basically been hurried on every every pass drop, and it's it's just crazy. And we had a decent first drive, and thank God we we finally lost a coin flip and had to go play offense at the beginning, but just ugly, ugly performance by the offensive line. Yeah. The offensive line was so bad they didn't they didn't even have the chance to hold them. They usually have an offensive line is doing bad. You get a lot of holding penalties because they're trying not to get them to the quarterback. So you didn't have any holding penalties. They just let them and, go past. They, they didn't. You know, or I was gonna say, Sam, like there was one play that really illustrated that. It was the I think it was probably their two DTs on the inside. They got right past either the center or the left guard and the right guard. It was two guys that went right in, into the B gap, I think it was, and went right at Shador, untouched. How do you go untouched in the B gap? How? I have no idea. But Chase, just to reiterate that stat, it was in the third quarter. Shador is pressured 22 times as of the third quarter, hit 17 times, knocked down 13 times, and sacked six times at the time that ESPN posted that article. And that knocked down 13... Stats. Yeah, that knockdown 13 feels a little generous to our offensive line because it felt like he was on the ground the entire game. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's just – and then because of that, right, because you don't have any time, we started going back to that Shiverini offense of doing these bubble routes where, you know, at, to his credit, at least Shador realized I have to get the ball out really fast because he can – one of his, his bigger problems he's going to have to work out at the NFL level, I think, is – getting the ball out a little bit quicker and not, you know, falling in love, having a guy wide open when you throw the ball. But he took that to heart clearly because he was throwing balls, you know, as soon as he had the ball, he, it was out of his hands. And it's it's really limiting on your offense, as we know from the Shiverini year, right? But it's really extra frustrating because you know he has the arm strength that we can hurt them downfield, but they don't have to defend it. Why? I mean, I wouldn't blame UCLA for not having a safety the entire night, right? Because you know you can just send the house. He's never going to have time to look downfield to get a ball out. And and if he does beat you once or twice, which we did, you know, Xavier Weaver had two pretty solid downfield catches this game. Uh, you know, just uh, just nothing can happen with that offense. And I don't even know if it's on the offensive coordinator, right? Like you can't do anything if you don't have any time. You literally cannot run an offense that way. Yeah, and, and Chase, you, you kind of threw out there that it's coaching. And, you know, I think it could be, but I just kind of want to chat about it because this offensive line, Chase, I agree with you. It looks a lot worse than last year. And looking at last year's offensive line really quick, just for comparison, um, it was uh, comprised of, give me a second, Van Wells at center. Um, you had Tank, Gerald, Gerald Christian Lichtenhan at left tackle. You had Casey Roddick at the guard position. Tommy Brown, um, the other guard, and then Jake Wiley slash Frank Phillip. And really the big hit there was Casey Roddick. But other than that, I mean, you have two returning starters in Tank and Van Wells. I'm kind of like baffled at what happened to Van Wells. He was all Pac-12 freshman team. 
he's just kind of fallen off. Granted, I don't think he's the huge problem with this online. He's part of the problem. Um, but yeah, this offensive line looks way worse than last year. And, you know, we were talking about it going into the season. Sean Lewis likes his offensive line to be more mobile. They don't have a bunch of guys over 300 pounds. I think I was looking at it earlier. Uh, do I have their weight here? I don't think I do. I think Tank might be the only guy only th- over 300 pounds. And it's because he's almost seven feet tall. So, yeah, I don't know if it's they're just trying to get cheeky with the Sean Lewis offensive line. It's more of a push and pull, you know, more mobile offensive line. I don't know if that's the problem. I think it's a problem of skill, also coaching. Because, I mean, the offensive line does not pick up any complicated blitz packages at all. They don't pick up normal blitz packages. They don't pick up four guys rushing, let alone three guys rushing in a quarter formation. It's that bad. So... I think it's it's partly skill and also partly coaching, which is mind-boggling because I thought Bill O'Boyle really had the stuff coming in. But, man, you just got to point fingers his way. Sam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I also think this is an example of the first position group where the transfer portal has not helped them out. I think all of the other positions that we've seen on the field, maybe kicker at the spring game, we were all like, oh, Maybe we downgraded from that. Maybe we have a little bit. I think Cole Becker has a greater range than Mata, although Mata's automatic inside of 40-ish. Um, but man, like this, it's been a downgrade, honestly. And it's hard to say that it's been a down. It's really hard to say that they downgraded from last year's offensive line, but they're worse. And it scares me because people are saying, oh, they'll get talent in the portal. They'll get talent in the portal. That's what they were supposed to have done last year. There's not one single offensive lineman that they got in the portal that's better than a player they had in the last year's team. So what makes people think that they can go out and get other... There's not... It's like the offensive line market in the NFL. There's not going to be a lot of like free agents because teams want to keep hold of great offensive linemen. There's always going to be great wide receivers that want to switch schools and cornerbacks. Offensive linemen, it's not as common. So you're going to have to take riskier bets on like group of five players or FCS players that are the all Americans at those levels and hope that they turn out. You can't get like the surefire Travis hunters of the world to come play offensive line at CU. So that's my worry with the offensive line. I, I do think though, I think coaching is going to make a bigger difference than people realize if not purely for the fact of, if you watch the game last night, the number of people that go unblocked, like Jake had kind of mentioned is astonishing. Right. And that, that comes down to, a little bit of film review and that comes down to coaching and knowing who your assignment is, because at, frankly, even if we chipped these guys, right. And, and just got any kind of block on them, Shooter would have at least a little bit of time to try to find someone, but he doesn't. I mean, there's, I think more often than not, you have at least one guy who's running free. Now, part of that is these teams are sending the farm frequently, right? They're, they're often sending blitzes because why wouldn't you? Right. But part of that comes down to running backs are not doing a great job blocking necessarily, but it's also crazy to see how many times, a guard or a tackle for this Colorado line is straight up having two people that he has to decide between. And rather than block one or the other, he blocks none of them, right? Because Shador might have to just figure out one of the, one of the, you know, if they send enough guys, it's going to be a mismatch. He's going to have to get away from at least one guy, but it's crazy how frequently they're not picking up either or, right? They're just letting both guys go through because they kind of, they panic, they go for one, try to get the other and both of them go by. And so I think, you know, that's an area where I would really like to see, I mean, frankly, it would be, incredibly disappointing if we don't see a change at coaching of the offensive line, right? Like that, that has to happen this off season if, if we're going to be serious. And I think that's going to help us with recruiting. Cause we're going to say, look, it's not the same, same guy. Um, hopefully he has connections, but 
I mean, it, it's so clearly a coaching problem, at least in part. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of transition us here slightly, but I think another thing that would help, and I was just going nuts screaming on Twitter about this, is the lack of the of calling run plays really hurts your offensive line as well. And the thing that killed me is when they ran, it worked. There were a couple plays where he got, you know, pummeled in the backfield, the, the running back. But I think generally you cannot look one-dimensional. It's so easy for a defensive end to rush a passer if they know that they're passing. Because you could spin off the the left tackle or the right tackle or take it wide and try to beat him with speed. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a tank get beat out on the outside by a defensive lineman, a DN that's more athletic than he is. It's so easy to rush the quarterback if you know they're not running the ball. You know, if if they're not running between the tackles, you're not going to keep the offensive line honest. And just being that one-dimensional really makes it hard for the pass protection. And, you know, people complain, but the offensive line sucks. How are you going to run the ball? Run blocking is a bit different than pass blocking. And until I see it not work, let's give it a shot. Like, even if it doesn't work, you need to run the ball, you know. I think Sean Lewis... Didn't run the ball at all until garbage time with Alden McCaskill in the second half, which is unexcusable. Like, it was a close game in the second half. I mean, CU was down one going into the second half, and you're not going to run the football? You know, if it's going to be a pass play, it, it's so easy to rush the quarterback. Sorry, I'm getting repetitive here, but just on my high horse. Yeah, I mean, CU also does suck at run blocking. They've proved they've sucked at run blocking through their terrible run blocking in the last couple of weeks, but it still doesn't mean you can abandon the run completely. And I think they did get some good runs when UCLA was in more of a prevent defense at the end of the first half. And once the game was kind of already in hand, they got some decent runs, but the like the thing that bothers me is not necessarily like, it's okay if you're going to be killing them on the pass, every play to keep running passes that if those keep working. If you can protect your quarterback, but if the one player that can win you the game is Shador Sanders, if Shador Sanders, I told my dad, if Shador Sanders gets hurt and gets out of the game, we're leaving. We're not going to stay for the rest of the game because I'm not going to go watch our backup quarterback do whatever BS he's going to do and throw three picks. Like only player that cannot possibly get hurt is Shador Sanders. And the way that he probably will never get hurt is if you hand the ball to someone else. Um, But I think he got, I think, Sean Lewis might have a thing where if he sees a couple runs do not work, like there was a play that looked looked the blocking was so bad it looked like a draw, and the, the running back got tackled for negative five yards, and that might have been the last run they ran for like a couple quarters. Like I think he gets scared by losing big chunk plays on runs, and then like goes away from it. So it's something to look forward to in the future, but they got to come up with some kind of scheme to maybe get Dylan Edwards to the outside on these runs or use ultimate Casco on the outside. Like there's no reason for Dylan Edwards to run inside the tackles ever. He's not, he's not that kind of running back and they keep trying to force him in there and it just is not working. Hot take. Don't have Dylan Edwards as your running back. Like I know he went off the TCU game, but he cannot pass block. He's too small. You need all McCaskill in there or like Wilkerson back there, kind of a bigger back. But it drives me nuts that they keep putting Dylan Edwards in there to run between the tackles or pass block. 
when, like, let's look at the stats from last game. Alt McCaskill averaged seven yards per carry. Granted, it was only two carries, but why are they so afraid to give it to Alt McCaskill? He was the highest rated or highest regarded transfer other than Shadur and Travis coming to CU. Why are we not giving him the football? And sure, like, coming off an ACL is difficult, and they're seeing things in practice that I'm not seeing, and he's probably not as explosive. He's a little bit hesitant with the ACL, probably. But no one else can run the ball. Why don't you give him a shot? You know, Alt McCaskill, seven yards per carry. Dylan Edwards only had three yards per carry on four carries. Savion Wilkerson had five and a half yards per carry. Those stats don't suck. If your running back is getting four or more yard, yards per carry, you got to stick to it. Yeah, but that's that's in garbage time. Like that, that's like McCaskill's not getting that when Dylan Edwards is getting that. So, like, I agree with you. I think they should use all to McCaskill in the minutes that matter. Like, I don't know why they let him wait until the fourth quarter and then showcase his abilities to maybe get seven yards when it matters, when they have their first team defense in, when they're playing their normal defense. Like it, it just boggles my mind that they don't have them. It just give them a couple drives. Like running backs need carries to get going in games. Sometimes give them 10 carries and see what happens in real game time. And there's such a big difference between second and 10 and second and five or second and seven or second and six. Right. And, and you open up so much more of your playbook if you're not, you know, behind all the time. And I think, I mean, or even better, you know, how many times was it second and 15 or second and 17 after we take a, a sack, right? So I, I think one other thing I wanted to bring up is as far as the coaching goes, we are getting killed in the halftime adjustments. And and my proof of that is how infrequently we are the first team to score coming out of halftime, right? Like the UCLA game is, is the most glaring example because they go down in two plays and, and Chip Kelly's a, you know, love him or hate him. He's a, he's a smart coach. He's an offensive mastermind, right? Like that's what he is. But I mean, two plays drive down the field and, and no one's surprised, right? Like he just goes straight down the field and scores. And there's something going on in these halftime adjustments. Coach prime gives great speeches. We've seen the speeches on YouTube, right? I mean, he, he does it all, but, but something is happening in these halftime locker rooms where we are not making the right reads and they are figuring us out and we're getting killed week after week. I just I just looked at all the games. We've scored first three times. Um, in those of those three times that we've scored first a, after halftime, we've won two of those games. Right, we only had one loss. Um, I think it was um, USC where we scored first. But long story short, is you got to come out and and a lot of coaches talk about those eight minutes where it's the four minutes before the halftime and the four minutes after, and we get killed there every I mean week in and week out we're getting killed there, and they got to win that area, and I think that comes down to coaching. So I mean overall. Just a, a really, really rough game. It's hard to, uh, you know, shout out to Shadur Sanders for not throwing his offensive line under the bus. I don't know how you could, I mean, what a character move for him. And, you know, uh, I don't know how he did it. I, I would legitimately, after being almost killed in cold blood on national television in primetime on ABC, I'd be like, I, I mean, these guys are literal terrorists in front of me. Like they're not doing anything. Like they want me to get hurt. I don't know what's happening, right? That has to be what's happening because otherwise they could at least stand in the way rather than like shimmy their way out of the defensive line's way so he can pulverize Shador every game. I mean, it's crazy. I, I, I have no other way to explain it. Uh, let's shift gears and talk about the defense. Um, I guess we could start with that hit that Shiloh had that was targeting that pulled him out of the game. Prior to that, Shiloh was having a great game. He had a forced fumble. He was looking like a like a baller. Like Shiloh is by far one of our best players on defense. He's, he's in my top three easily on defense. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think about that hit? Do you think it was a good call, bad call? Smart play by Shiloh, dumb play. Sam, why don't you tell why don't you tell everyone how you felt well, about that call? How, watching, how righteous watching, and just you thought that call was. Watching live, 
it was I was incensed. It looked like the cleanest hit in the world. It looked like he put his shoulder right into the guy's chest, and no one could believe it. The UCLA fans couldn't believe it. They have tiny little score like screens there at the Rose Bowl. Um so you couldn't really see the replay. I don't very know if, well. if Colorado fans really have room to talk about tiny, tiny jumbotrons, but no, but know. the bigger stadium makes them look smaller. Like you, you, you were so far away, you couldn't really see what was going on. But it was like that looks terrible. Um, but then when I got home and looked at the replay, it was targeting. He hit him with his helmet in the wide receiver's helmet. I wish it wasn't a penalty. He might not have led with his head, but that's going to get called every single time, which made me more upset was that even if it wasn't targeting, it was 100% going to get called 15-yard penalty for excessive celebration. You can't be so dumb of a in that moment to do like the sheathing a sword celebration looking at the other team's bench. That's what I thought the Boxing. penalty was for. Like That's going to be a penalty every single day of the week. There's no reason to do that. It's just like going back to the undisciplined nature of the team. I didn't think the hit was that bad. Obviously, it was a penalty. I think it was the right call look in in retrospect, but what I was more upset about was the cel- like, I wanted to celebrate, go celebrate on the sideline. Don't do something that's going to get your team flagged in the future. The counter Sam's point, October 28th, 2023 is the official day that football died. If that hit <laughs> is not legal, football is no longer a sport. I mean, that is unbelievable. It was not targeting. I don't care what you say. That is, it's just not targeting. I mean, that is, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Like, I don't know how you're supposed to tackle if that's not legal. That was a ridiculous call. Even, even, you know, Chris Fowler's kind of a homer, right? But even, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's unbelievably stupid how bad these targeting calls are. I agree. I mean, to Sam's point, the fact that he was still celebrating while the flags were flying all around him, like there's no way he didn't see the flags, which maybe makes it, you know, a little bit more worth it. I don't know, but at least it was in the first half. So he's not going to be gone for the first half, you know, for the homecoming game where we're going to really need him, but I, I I agree. I mean, it's just really frustrating. It takes all the, the air out of your tires. They ended up scoring on that drive, right? So it was a big penalty, um, right? That was, that was the drive where they ended up having the overturned call. I don't know for sure, but I mean, between that and then the over overturned catch, which was, you know, pretty suspect. I don't know. I think the play should have stood. I'm definitely biased on that as well, but it's just, I mean, those were some backbreakers and it's like classic, Colorado Buffalo football watching, right? Like that's just the kind of things that anytime you think it could possibly go your way, you're wrong, right? The, the punt team's already coming out and then Chip Kelly challenges it. It's just horrible. I'll break the tie here. It was targeting, but to side with Chase, the pen, the, the targeting penalty is, is so stupid. If you want to have a fun, a fun time, go look at the Baltimore Ravens defense in the early 2000s. Watch a highlight clip of that. Ed Reed doing his thing out there. Football was so different in the mid 2000s than it is now. And there are no more big hits. You can't do a big hit anymore, which is just ridiculous and a joke. Um, I get player safety and all, but it's too much. It's too much. Like it's targeting because he, he led with the crown of his helmet and his shoulder. And it's, it's definitely a gray area. And do I blame Shiloh? No, maybe I do for the celebration, but for the hit, no, it's, it's just a dumb, it's a dumb rule. I'm really glad yeah. we have you both on the record for hating football and supporting the the big targeting cartel. I just football. said I don't I don't like I, the rule. <laughs> I'm never going to be someone who's on the side of people who are saying that's how these people forget their kids' names when they turn 40 because they've gotten hit so many times by Ray Lewis in the head that they don't know 
Bam is actually the head of big targeting. He's he's like the number one guy, the chief executive officer. You know how you avoid targeting? You don't hit him in the head. There's like what percent of a body is a head? Like what ten? Hit the other ninety percent of his body, and you don't have to worry about this. And you can flex on the side. Well, I think the problem was your helmet's so big, and you kind of don't have full awareness of where your helmet's going to hit him. Like he hit him in the body, and his helmet barely got his face mask. How long has he played football? You're aware of how big your helmet is. No one's like, oh, my helmet was too big. I don't think Shiloh thought he hit him in the head at all, which is why he celebrated. One Antonio Brown exists in the entire history of the world, and now Sam is too cool for head-on-head contact, part (laughs) of big big targeting. I regard Anyway, let's not beat the the horse to death. I think it is worth mentioning. Travis Hunter had one hell of a game, probably his best game, certainly defensively. And I thought it was interesting. So we, we, if, you know, for people who didn't listen to the beginning of the season, we had all discussed whether Travis would be more of an offensive or defensive player this season. I think I was the only one who said he'd be more of a defensive player. And he's clearly been more of an offensive player this season. But on the broadcast, and you probably didn't hear this, Sam, they talked about how the entire bye week he stayed in Boulder and prepared to be defense only, like only to defense. And it, you can tell, right? Like he clearly watched the film. He clearly, it, I mean, he's just an athletic mastermind, right? Like just incredible game from him. Both those interceptions were uh, not just a, he's a really great athlete, but it was clearly, he was also very prepared, right? He clearly jumped the route. He had completely given up on his his own receiver and jumping the route for that first interception. But what a phenomenal game by Travis, kind of bailing out the defense, right? The numbers make the defense look better than they actually played. I think they played really well comparatively, but Travis and Shiloh and some big turnovers bailed them out quite a few times. Yeah. I mean, this is a big week for Travis Hunter because he got torched a couple times in the game uh, two weeks ago against Stanford. He got mossed by that random Stanford wide receiver that had like four receptions coming into the week. And I think he heard the haters. He heard the people saying, Oh, he can't play cornerback. Look, he can't, he can't do it. And he, like just like you said, he went into the into the lab. He studied. He should have had another pick too. That got it got. It, you said it was down by the goal line, and the pass got deflected and went down. And Travis Hunter was so upset because if it didn't get deflected, he was picking it off. But yeah, the anticipation on the interceptions was the most impressive. Um, none of them were like really his guy. He was just going over, reading the quarterback's eyes, and making great plays defensively. I think that's what if, if they want to try to get to six wins, they're going to need Travis Hunter to be the anchor of that defense and get the ball back to the offense. I agree. I'm not going to beat this to a to a to a horse here, but you you can't coach those things. Those are five star top corner in the country. You guys are laughing because I'm beating this over the head here. But yeah, and making Travis up Hunter's... your own making up your own things. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it's, but he's a beast. Beating a de- it's, it's beating a dead horse. You don't beat the you don't beat the living ones. <laughs> Very true. Um, so I'll I'll just do it, and then you can and then you can beat the horse to death because you'll have a new segment. We'll we'll go ahead and do the Q Wealth Management Player of the Week uh, for for all of them. But to start, or we'll do defense last to, to give Jake a nice segue, so he's not beating a horse to death. Um, for special teams, um, I'm overruling everyone. There is no special teams player of the week. That was horrible. That entire performance was horrible. Not even Mark Vassett's getting it. No, I don't care. To Mata. I don't care if Mata, Mata hit his field goals. He should have had one blocked. He was kicking them like three That's feet true. over the offensive line. The fact that that one field goal was not blocked is insane and probably would have returned for a touchdown, right? Like the man was just pitching a tent behind the, the line before Mata kicked the ball and for whatever reason just decided he was too good to block it. 
but um, I'm vetoing any special teams player of the week because that performance was abysmal Um, on offense. We'll go ahead. And um, I wanted to give it to Xavier Weaver. Uh, Sreyas always wants to give to Xavier Weaver. So since he's not here, we'll go ahead and give it to Shadour. Did we lose you, Chase? (laughs) I'll jump in here. I think we lost Chase, but we're going to go ahead and give the offensive player of the game to Shadour because he stayed alive during that game and walked away barely on two feet. So we're going to give it to Shador. Chase, are you back with us? I am. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Shador for, for staying alive and for the fact that Sreyas is just not here. Um, sorry to Xavier Weaver. Better luck next time. And then on defense, you know, someone should talk about this guy, Travis Hunter with two interceptions and being an absolute no fly zone. Jake, what were your thoughts on Travis Hunter? Oh, on Travis Hunter to beat this live horse to death. <laughs> <laughs> PETA, no, don't actually... we've lost it. We've lost a sponsor opportunity now with PETA. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the defensive line really quick, so it wasn't even Travis Hunter related. I thought they played they had a decent game. I, I really liked what I saw out of Jordan Dominic. I know we're talking about Travis Hunter now and I'm pivoting, <laughs> but just had to add that really quick. Yeah. And so I think, you know, with 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 that, you know, frankly, that was a, a really frustrating performance, right? And and one thing we haven't talked about yet is Colorado went down the field and settled for two field goals on first and goals, right? Where, or, you know, I, I think maybe, yeah, I think first and goal on both where we could have walked away with, with 14 points there instead of six, and maybe the game would have been entirely different. Right. And so missed opportunities there um, largely because of the offensive line. And that's definitely a horse that we've beaten beyond death. So yeah, it's just, it's a frustrating game, but now the question is where do we go from here? Uh, you know, a couple episodes ago, or maybe last episode we had talked about, you know, if if CU didn't win another game, and that was a real possibility, it still is a real possibility. Um, frankly, it's looking more and more like a realistic possibility. You know, where where do we go from here? How do we build momentum? How do we keep, you know, kind of what was magical at the beginning of the season going? Uh, we I, I will go ahead and, and say I don't think we have to worry a whole lot about uh, Coach Prime leaving this offseason necessarily, but really quickly I'll preview it. We have Oregon State for the homecoming game. That's going to be a really tough game. That's a good team. Then we have Arizona, who is a, you know, a very good team as well, at Wazoo and at Utah. I mean, that's just horrible. Yeah, you cannot lose four straight games, or six. I guess it'll be six because um, they've lost two straight. That'll kill a lot of the momentum. Like Recruits won't be as willing to come play for Coach Prime if he sees the buffs going on a six-game losing skid. And granted, it is, you know, a lot better than one in eleven. It, it is progress, right? If the if the buffs don't win out from here, and Sirius was very wise to ask us, you know, a couple of podcasts ago, what happens if the buffs don't win win any more games? Is this season a success or a failure? And it's funny that he said that because he's been a CU fan the longest out of all of us, so he kind of knows the 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 buff stuff for <laughs> lack of a better word. Um, yeah, like they need to get one more win. And I think Arizona, they can pick one up. I know they'll be bowl ineligible, but I think they need one to, to, um, to keep somewhat some momentum and some excitement going into the second half really quick. One other thing I wanted to note with the offensive line is I think there's a lot bigger repercussions with this battle line than people realize if I'm Shador Sanders and I have a first round ticket to the NFL draft. And I just got pulverized this last game and every single game. I'm not staying. You know, I thought the Buffs would win a bowl this this year at least. 
And I thought Shadur would stay with CU because if they're going to win a bowl, they're pretty close to they're pretty close to making a big splash the following year. You know, when Travis is around and uh, and Shador's around and, you know, it's more seasoned players, they'll get better transfers. The Big 12, CU can run the Big 12 next year. At least I thought they could before where we're at now. I think they still have a shot. But, man, I could see Shador leaving early to the draft now, and I didn't see that earlier because I thought he'd stay with, with Shiloh and Coach Prime. I think Shiloh has one, one more year. But, man, I'm just – it's just rough. It's just rough, but I think they need to get at least one. And again, I know that's not bowl el- eligibility, but they really do. I, I was act- this was one of my shower thoughts. Actually, is should Shador even? I think there needs to be a real conversation about should Shador even play out the rest of the season, considering how much physical damage he's taking to his body. It's just a matter of time, like Sam's been saying, until he gets hurt with his offensive line. And I and I I'm gonna say this, before, you know, there's no there's no chance he doesn't play out the rest of the season. It's not gonna happen, right? He he's too proud. He's just too much of a football guy to do that. His dad's the coach, right? But if his dad was not the coach, it would be coaching. It would I mean it would be malpractice for him as a player for him to come back next year, right? He has a ticket to the first round. I, I think it's pretty obvious he's gonna get drafted either first or second round in the NFL draft if he goes um, this year. It's just a you know it's a pretty pretty strong quarterback draft, but. You know, for him to to risk his body and come back at Colorado again next year, unless there's just some crazy development with our with our recruiting, you know, if I were him, I wouldn't blame him if he decided to shut it down for the season. You know, people have been talking about Caleb Williams doing that for for God's sake. You know, there's no bowl game to play for, really, if we're being honest, right? I wouldn't blame him. He's it's not going to happen, but I wouldn't blame him because oh my God, he's he's getting killed out there and risking millions of dollars, millions of dollars. He's risking every time he goes out there. And for what, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a tough spot and I, I wouldn't blame him. I know it's not going to happen, but it really abysmal time. Yeah. I mean, I would like to counter that there's, I do not think Shador Sanders is a first or second round quarterback in this next draft. I can name four or five quarterbacks that will go ahead of them. You have Caleb Williams, you have Drake May, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. All of these quarterbacks are going to go ahead of Shador Sanders. And he knows that. He knows he only has one season of pack of power five football tape on. And some of it's really good and some of it's not so good. He has areas of growth that he needs to improve on that we touched upon earlier in this podcast to make him a top tier prospect. And I think especially with how quarterback heavy this draft class is, if he plays one more year, he's going to be a top three quarterback. He's not going to be a top three quarterback here. And I don't think there's going to be five quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds. Um, so I don't think that's something we have to worry about. Um, his health is definitely a concern. But I think another thing, pivoting a little bit onto something that I was thinking in the showers, well, Chase, hopefully at different times, so they weren't in the same shower. Um, but maybe we were. Folsom Frenzy podcast listeners, you'll never know. It's extra punishing, right? Because everyone else is on mute. So d- despite people laughing when Sam says that, it's it's just shocking silence for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Was it's a story that we've heard from every successful CU player in their recruiting story is why did they come to CU? It's because they wanted to change the program. They wanted to be part of something big. So I think like when we talked to Jacquez, this is what he said when he came to CU. It's what all of Money Gang said when they came to CU. They wanted to be, they wanted to be the change catalyst for the program. So I think since every great player that CU's had 
has that mentality of I'm going to come in here and change a program. I don't think it's necessarily bad to lose out, go four and six and get the dogs who want to come in and change a program. Cause there are plenty of four and five star players that just want to play for the money. Look at Texas A&M. Texas A&M had the number one recruiting class. They had all the five stars, all the four stars and they sucked. So they had the best recruiting class and they sucked because they don't have the people that really, really want it for the right reasons. So I think it might be a little bit more difficult, but you also might be able to find those players that really have the desire to change the program um, that you need to have a successful team and a a successful rebuild. Because you don't just need talent. You need the will. You need the desire. And that's just not there right now. Yeah, and the thing with O-line and D-line is you need a full team and depth. Shout out to Strayus for posting this. Follow us on X. Uh, but Strayus said, here's a wild CU fact. The 2012 team featured two NFL future offensive linemen, David Bakhtiari and Daniel Munier. The team also finished 87th in sacks allowed and 107th in rushing offense among FBS teams. You need a full offensive line. You can't just get a couple studs in here and, and imagine that the problem will be solved. So, I mean, it's a big task. Coach Prime, I think, had a had a quote in his press conference. I'm going to butcher it here, but someone basically asked him like, what's the issue with the O line? And he, he essentially said, I, I need to bring in more guys. That's the full picture. And I'm about to paint a beautiful picture. He said something along those lines, which is just epic and kind of gets you fired up. Yeah, like but Bob, also it's like, Ross should you be asked. saying that right now? I don't know. Needless to say, he's got a lot of work to get, to try to get some big boys in here. One thing I, I, I was thinking about not in the shower but uh, was I wonder what Antoine Hill is thinking? The five-star quarterback that Steve recruited, he's in the 2025 class. He, uh, I believe, is the sixth overall best quarterback in the nation. I hope he's calling up the big boys that he knows and, and is telling them to come play for CU. Because if I'm a quarterback, that's what I'm trying to get the, the most is the offensive lineman. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a tall order, but if there's anyone that could do it, it's Coach Prime. I know Coach Prime is, you know, more prone to get those athletic guys, those corners, those wide receivers, running backs, maybe. But man, I bet he could bring in some O linemen. Uh, one other thing I was thinking about is, I would not be surprised if Warren Sapp is our defensive lineman coach next year. Him and Coach Prime are tight, and he mentioned that he wanted to get back into coaching. Building upon that, I would love to see Coach Prime call up one of his offensive line buddies from the NFL, and CU's coaching staff just become all gold jacket winners and all hall of famers. And if you get that, you're going to bring in stud offensive linemen and defensive linemen. So there's my pipe dream. I do wonder though, you know, you're going to, you're going to bring in big names and that's definitely going to turn recruits on, but I don't know if that's going to solve our X's and O's problem necessarily as easily as we'd hope as far as just missing blocking assignments and stuff like that. And maybe that's something that a good analyst could come in and fix um, as well. But yeah, I don't know. We we yeah, you know, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Coach Prime did just buy more acreage and stopped his pond here in in Colorado. So maybe maybe he is here to stay, and we can stop stressing about him leaving. Um, I'm not gonna stop stressing after after what happened with Midnight Mel. Probably ever. I think that's just uh, you know once you have an ex that cheats on you, you never never move on, and that's kind of where I'm at. So, um, you know, however that ends up happening. Um, to your point, you know, that's a, a long response to Jake's point, but yeah, I don't I don't know if if. Uh, if recruiting is necessarily going to be a cure-all to offensive line as we've seen even this year. Yeah, and I think one last thing that my dad and I were talking about on the way home is that the offense looks like it's being influenced more and more by Pat Shermer. 
um, as a Broncos fan and as Chase knows, as a Vikings fan, Pat Shermer offenses are very bland and very predictable. You can kind of tell what's going to happen, and it's why he's not in the NFL anymore because his offenses don't work. And he's been hired as the as an analyst through Colorado, and you can tell. And it's it's frustrating because you if you were a Bronco fan, you watched it when he was the offensive coordinator for the Broncos, and I just wonder who's really calling the plays. Is it Sean Lewis or is it Pat Shermer kind of getting his hands on those things and kind of tweaking to things to his liking? So with that being said, we'll, we'll quickly preview Oregon State. Um, Oregon State's a 13-point favorite in Boulder for our homecoming game. Over-unders at 63 points, which I think is very generous. Um, for those of you who have not been following Oregon State, they're they're sneaky good. Um, they had a, a pretty rough loss, which is just classic for Colorado to be playing a team that's pissed off after a pretty bad loss to the Arizona team that we have to play in two weeks. But um, overall, DJ, I, I hate pronouncing this name, Ugalagale, um, the, the Clemson fail uh, quarterback who decided to redeem himself. He's thrown for 17 or almost 1,800 yards, 17 touchdowns, four interceptions. He has been very good this season. Um, they're generally more of a run first team. Um, Martinez, their running back has o- already over 750 yards. Um, so probably going to have a thousand yard rusher, um, there. I don't know if they can stand up to the talent that we have in our wide receiving core. Um, you know, apples to apples, but Oregon State's defense is legit. That team is very good and we should be very worried for this matchup. Wait, can we have Jake pronounce the quarterback's name? DJ Ukulele. Yeah, there we go. I think it's ukulele. I don't think it's a musical I, I instrument. No it's definitely not what Chase said. <laughs> anyway, uh, I will be, um, I guess we'll do score predictions, right? At, at 63, 13-point favorites. Uh, I can't quite do the, the score prediction in, in my head on that one. I think it's 43-20, something like that. Um, not quite that that far off. But um I, I don't think we cover this game. I think Oregon State's going to kill us. And I know that it's homecoming, and I know it's going to be a very Colorado-friendly crowd. Um, I am concerned because it's a game after Halloween when we're playing Oregon State. Um, you know, the black and orange is probably going to give them at least a couple extra points. I hate to be a Debbie Downer on this, but, um, you know, they're, I don't know. We did cover against UCLA, you know, and, and as Sam always says, uh, good teams win, great teams cover. Um, maybe we could be a great team. I just don't see it. I think this is going to be another disappointing loss. Um, I, I think this one's going to hurt. And uh, my prediction from the early season, where I think I had this one as a loss as well, it's going to come true. Uh, Jake, what do you got? I think we're going to see really quick what this team's made of, what their psyche is. Is this a team that's dogs that want to fight? Or is it te- a team that'll that'll uh, fade under pressure? But I, I got uh, Oregon State winning this game 35-24. to 24. I think CU's offense will get going a little bit more at home. Um, but yeah, Oregon State's still going to win this game by over 10 points, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's a very, very astute observation by Chase to call out the 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 thing that Vegas is really overlooking with the Halloween colors after Halloween. Um, I'd also like to throw in that uh, CU's offensive line are ghosts. So I think that could could give CU that edge back and maybe that's maybe Vegas also accounts for that in the line. I would say it's not going to be a good game for CU. I don't know how they changed things around in one week, given that they didn't change things around in the two weeks that they had before the UCLA game. 
I think it's going to be 31 to 10 Oregon State rolls on homecoming. So on that depressing note, what an optimistic for listening. Episode. Yeah, optimistic <laughs> episode for, for the fans. I'll, I'll very quickly before you close out, Jake. I will say I do think for homecoming, Ralphie Six makes it past the fifty yard line on both of her runs to put on a show for the graduates to come home. Love that. Love that prediction. But with that, I'm going to close this out. Thanks for leaving us on a high note there, Chase. But thank you for listening to the podcast. If you guys could give us a rating on Apple and Spotify, as well as follow us on X, Instagram, and YouTube, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. It really helps. Uh, but with that, thank you for listening. Let's go Buffs. Let's go Buffs. <laughs>